You're listening to Dodge Movie Podcast. Your hosts are Christy and Mike Dodge, the founders of Dodge Media Productions. We produce films and podcasts, so this is a podcast about films. Join them as they share their passion for filmmaking. Welcome back, everybody, to the Dodge Movie Podcast. This is episode 128, and we watch Mr. Mom on Max. So if you have that subscription, it is free to watch. This is the last week of July, so you have a few days. So you have one day to guess what the theme for July is. Get those in. This film came out in 1983. It's directed by Stan Dragoti, and he brought us She's Out of Control in 1989 and The Man with One Red Shoe in 85. It stars Michael Keaton, Terry Garr, Martin Mull, Ann Gillian, Jeffrey Tambor, and Christopher Lloyd. The DP is Victor Kemper, who also did National Lampoon's Vacation in 83 and Clue in 85. It was written by John Hughes. Breakfast Club in 85, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles in 87, and Uncle Buck in 89. The synopsis for this film is after he's suddenly laid off, a husband switches roles with his wife. She returns to the workforce, and he becomes a stay-at-home dad. And he has to take care of three young children, a job he has no clue how to do. I got one tag. Let's see. No, I have two. All right. I have two. Lay them on me. When mom goes to work, dad goes berserk. Oh, not bad. Got a rhyme. This one, it's under my tagline category, but it just doesn't sound like a tagline. Caroline's a rising executive. Jack just lost his job. Jack's going to have to start from the bottom up. It's kind of long for a tagline and not as good. Right. I agree. So the premise of this film came about when John Hughes told Lauren Schuler Donner about a disastrous experience he had after um, he was looking after his two children while his wife was away. And Donner found it so hilarious. Hughes asked if it would make a good movie. And Donner replied, it sounds, it sure sounds funny to me. Hughes wrote the film and flew to Los Angeles to rewrite the script with Donner. Ron Howard was asked to direct this film, but he turned it down in order to make Splash, and Michael Keaton turned down Splash in order to make Mr. Mom. Wow, I think Splash was probably the better choice there. (laughs) (laughs) It's the third feature film made by television producer Aaron Spelling, who recounted in his memoir, I couldn't find a film that was suitable to take my wife, take my kids to, so we made one. So that's why it looks like a sitcom? I bet, probably, yeah. That makes sense. I wonder if he just brought in all the people he knows and his aesthetic from television. Mm-hmm. So, kick us off. What is the pickup line for Mr. Mom? Wake up. <laughs> well, Not bad. Yeah. Right. And he kind of has to wake up a little bit. Yes, yes. Yeah, it, it kind of works. Every, I think everybody had to wake up. Not just Jack. Not just Jack. I think... You know, she had to wake up to, did she really want to be an executive? Right. And what did that mean? Because she was missing her kids stuff. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's interesting. The premise of him being an engineer, I think, was it's a difficult choice. I think it'll work better if he was in a different job because he appears to be not only dumb, but not handy. And that, to me, is kind of... When I first saw it, that didn't didn't stand out to me. But it did the second time through, like... I, I can't... Um, so he works at an auto factory. Mm-hmm. So we can assume he's a mechanical engineer. And he seems like he's in a somewhat managerial position, but he would have probably worked his way up. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, they call him an engineer. Mm-hmm. And, and so he would know 220 versus 110. Yeah. I mean, it's a funny line. Yeah. And he doesn't read the box, uh, the directions with the, the detergent. No engineer I know would just not read the instructions. I can tell you how the 220 to 10. 2 to 21. Yeah. It's a funny joke. Okay, so it came from two actors. <laughs> Basically, uh-huh. was it, wasn't it? was it Fred Will... No, Martin Mull is standing there. Uh-huh. Right? Wasn't, yeah. It was Martin it was Mull, Mull and Keaton. Yeah. And he said the joke, and so... And Keaton says, oh, yeah, that's funny. And so they rolled it in so makes tons of it sense, makes sense that neither hughes, martin mull nor michael keaton ever met an engineer right and hughes if he did do that joke maybe you know in the reading of somebody else I, right. you know it, it, yeah so it's almost like other than electrician the one profession where that joke doesn't work right <laughs> um but it's a really funny joke and right i know engineers that quote that joke so it, it landed in that sense, but it was just, I thought that was interesting because as we talked about, don't write a movie about the troubles in Ireland unless you know what you're talking about. Right. I feel like this character is funny, but he doesn't approach this like an engineer would. Right. So that was one of those cases where Mike Judge, whoever did Office Space, he knew that environment, and that's why it landed so perfectly, I think. Right. I thought that was an interesting thing to make him an engineer. Mm-hmm. And as far as I can tell, he's supposed to work at Ford because mm-hmm. they drive brand new Mercury Grand Marquis, Ford LTD sedan, and Ford LTD Country Squire station wagon. All Ford products, all brand new for the year this was made. Mm-hmm. So to me, that says he's working at Ford. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, they probably didn't want to say Ford's name and, and have Ford get, yell at them. But in 1982, layoffs in the auto industry was a thing. That was a topic. Right. Was there anything in the cinematography that stood out to you? I don't have anything down. I mean... Well, I, I had a, a few things that I thought were interesting. One is there's a lot of fog machine <laughs> in the bedroom in the opening scene. <laughs> and I think they did that to get the sunlight through the window to make mm-hmm. it feel like... Spring, and I'm surprised they didn't have like Verdi's spring playing Mm -hmm. with the the birds chirping. (laughs) But almost immediately thereafter, we talked about this, may have been a pause even, there's the shadow from the wood in the window across Keaton's face at the breakfast table. It did drive me nuts. So I I interrupted. Sorry. Go ahead. I didn't know if you had had, uh, an explanation. So um, windows in the old days, it was hard to get big sheets of glass. So they had the wood in between each, each little pain was a separate piece of glass now uh, the it's one solid sheet but they still do the the cross hatching with the little like molding and the shadow from 
those horizontal and vertical things was right across his face as he's talking and the actor's moving. Mm -hmm. So that line is moving up and down on his face. It was really distracting. And I can't believe that nobody noticed it on set. Like it was so harsh. It seemed intentional. Yes. And that I couldn't figure out why, like what the intention was behind it. I mean, other than just the sun was baking in on that window. But I'm just saying you put a scrim over it or something. Call it a no, day. No, I'm saying it felt like artificial. Oh, is that what it was? Maybe was it? Were they filming at night and they had a, <laughs> a really harsh light out front outside the window? Yeah, to mimic the sun. Uh, and it, so they're they were like, of course, there's going to be a yeah, shot. yeah. It's very interesting. And then I wondered too, was this shot like a multi-camera sitcom in that? One take. We're just going. Right. Everybody in position. Stay your lines and get out. Right. And then there were two montages. Uh, there was a Jack fixing up the house montage, mm -hmm. but there was also a corporate Olympics montage, which was really kind of funny. And I don't know if it's funny because for the reason that Aaron Spelling and the director intended, but my question is whether corporate Olympics could even happen today mm -hmm. because I'm thinking of all the lawsuits of if somebody gets injured and then they're going to say it's ableist. And so not everyone can compete. That was in the eighties though. I think that was actually probably a thing at many different companies to have the corporate Olympics. And I do like how the plot, the writing is you got to lose to the boss, right? That's right. <laughs> that's mandatory. <laughs> I was really concerned when we chose this film. I remember fondly enjoying it right. when it came out. And I was concerned that it wouldn't hold up. I was worried either, you know, we've tried to watch comedies since and they're either too slow or they are inappropriate. <laughs> Just in looking in today's, with today's yeah, yeah, eyes. Yeah, sure. And I was really surprised. This one held up quite well. I was pleased. So I kind of agree and disagree. I yeah. agree in the sense that I, w I too was concerned that it would be a little gender biased, right? And it didn't. It really didn't follow the tropes of the time of... Like the bumbling. Right. With the one exception that this gag bumped me badly where he's embarrassed to buy maxi pads. Yeah. That one that was, was such kinda, a trope. That wasn't the, the best. But yeah, so it did better there. It did worse in that it played to me the second time like a 90-minute sitcom episode, not as a film. Mm. So it was very TV movie-esque. And I don't remember that from the first time I watched it. Yeah, there was, I mean, there was the he overloads the washing machine scene. And were they the first to do that? I thought Lucy did that. Oh, I mean, if not Lucy, so many others. Right, that's pretty pretty um, stereotypical. Adventures of Babysitting. or Cliched movie. Oh, oh, oh. It, uh, did Kevin McAllister, maybe he put dish soap in the... I feel like we watched a movie recently where instead right. of using dishwasher washer detergent, they use dish detergent, which you're not supposed to put in a dishwasher. 
Okay, so I need some of my super fans to help me out here. I'm pretty sure there was a Lucy episode. I can remember where she does this. But anyway, yeah, it wasn't cutting-edge comedy. And then he burns the chili, the vacuum cleaner, basically, as a mind of its own. It, it, it was the first robotic uh, he has vacuum, a Roomba. Yeah, cleaner, because it can run on its own. Yeah, and I really wonder how fun was it for Adam and Jamie to make that remote control vacuum cleaner? <laughs> right. There's just chaos, because like all, while all this is going on, the exterminator's coming, the pilot light guy is coming, the TV repair person. I never scheduled more than one service person to be at the house at the same time. For, again, he's an engineer. And as you said, he'd kind of risen to a supervisory capacity. Yeah. I think he'd be good with scheduling on different days. Right. So that was a little Yeah, much. a little bit, a little bit. I said he has a dream um, where he shaves his beard and then turns into an expert on cleaning fitness, school volunteering, taking care of the kids. And taking care of the wife all while the Rocky theme plays in the background. Yeah. So that yeah. was a bit of a montage, I guess. Yeah. And the, the, the beard was to represent that he had given up. He let himself go. Yeah. And so he was kind of cleaning up his act. I thought there were certain things, you know, like anytime you step in somebody else's shoes, you have an appreciation for what they do. Right. But then sometimes you innovate a way of doing something that they didn't think of because maybe they were just in the weeds and this is the way you've always done it. And, and so I think from the perspective of, and I can't think of an example, but I felt like there was a time when he did something in a little bit different way that still achieved the goal, but in right. a, in a very kind of dad, loosey-goosey, cool kind of way. Yeah, I'm trying to remember specifically. When you brought that up, I was actually comparing it to Uncle Buck, where I think that was a bit more heavily explored was John Candy's character. You know, he did things like the giant pancake. Right. Right. Things, things like that. But it is kind of interesting to compare and contrast. This would be good if we knew any film professors. Like in, of course, Uncle Buck versus Mr. Mom. How did they approach that? In some sense, domesticity is kind of a gender swap. Like mm -hmm. you said, everybody else's job is easy. Right. right. And then you start doing it and you're like, oh, wow, this is actually harder than I thought. And I think we we didn't see as much of that with Caroline's character, played by Terry Garr, that hers was more as she was trying to kind of return to the workforce. It was more that than necessarily that working was more difficult than she had expected. Yeah, I'm, I'm bleeding probably platonic <laughs> that's on oh, apple sure, right yeah. now yeah because rose burns character goes back to work and she's just like i'm so tired <laughs> right which is uh, you know i've heard that from people who have been out of work for a while and they go back to work and and, and it is physically and mentally draining yeah, like, so that would have been a little bit more expected but this was the 80s mm -hmm. so the whole thing about martin mole's character showing up at the limo and working super long hours, that was very much the era of Gordon Gecko. Mm -hmm. So I don't think uh, it would have played as well with the audience to have the, oh, wow, going to work's hard. Right. I don't want to work 16 hours a day. Right. I thought it was a good turn when he makes the special dinner for her and she shows mm -hmm. up late because that's probably something that happened in reverse before right. when she was staying at home, taking care of the right. kids and stuff. And I was talking just earlier today to someone about how 
mobile phones ruin most movies. And that's one of the things that we often saw was being late for dinner. But now you would, if you didn't call, you just text, you know, got to stay late. Boss is working on whatever. Right. And, so some that's one of those things that wouldn't really hold up now. You'd have to do it in some different way to get that. But yes, that was, and that's where I think that was probably realistic, but it was on the edge of a cliche of mm-hmm. showing up late and dinner's cold and the person who made it snippy. Angry. Yeah. Yeah. And now even the wife could, you know, find my husband and know exactly <laughs> right. where right <laughs> so or the person at home could right what find, are you doing in west lynn fine exactly <laughs> i wrote down he takes pride in his work at home and when he worked for the car oh in both places he took pride in his work so it showed that he took pride in his work when he was working in the factory they showed us a scene and then at home initially once he got his feet wet then he took pride like he wanted it shows him going around the house and kind of doing a better job and taking pride in in the house looking nice yeah to me that is more realistic engineer behavior you want to do it correctly whatever that definition is right i agree and then now we bring in angelian's character which she's got the hots for him Joan. Joan from across the street has takes a liking to him, which I thought this was kind of odd because they show us that they were friends before. It's not like she newly moved into the neighborhood. She was his wife's friend. When Carolyn was there, they were friends. And so, in fact, when she walks in, he's playing poker. At one point, she walks in and he's playing poker with all their friends from the neighbor to all the women. Right. And then she works late one night, or is she out on a trip, I think, maybe? And Anne Jillian's character, Joan comes over to seduce him. Mm-hmm. And I liked the scene in the mirror because he's like, no, you love your wife. Right. Don't do this. I, 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 did, I did like that part with him. I just want to back up a tiny bit yeah. and say they established in dialogue whether you bought it or not. One of the moms says, Joan, he's married. And she says, so were we like at one time or something. So they, so to me that established why suddenly he was on the radar. But yes, I, I was surprised in a pleasant way of that dialogue as he's kind of going through the the devil on one shoulder, angel on the other. He's going with the back and forth, the uh, pros and cons. I thought that was realistic mm-hmm. that um, Angelian was a, a stone cold hottie at that time and a divorcee in the neighborhood, right, that mm-hmm. he knew. And she's obviously coming on to him. So he, it, it makes sense to me that it wouldn't be a clear cut thing that he'd be like, well, hey, you know, she's kind of good looking. Uh. Right. And so he was debating with himself. Right. In, you know, in the mirror. No, you're married. You have a good thing. Don't do this. But he's flattered that somebody's yeah. interested. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. But then, so then he, I can't remember how it happens. Oh, he goes in. Maybe that's when he's in the bathroom and then she's laying on the bed and his wife, Carolyn, walks in and she's like, right. what the hell? And I thought that was realistic. Sometimes in the movies, the wife walks in and is like, oh, hi, Joan. 
<laughs> right. Or there's like, oh, I was just checking the comforter for wrinkles or something. Right. And she's like, oh, okay. Right. And, Seems uh, clueless. And, and Terry yeah. Garth Carolyn was like, oh, what's going on Why here? Why are you in my bedroom? Yeah. I would be stunned if I came into any room in the house and one of our super fans was there. <laughs> I probably should be told ahead of time if we're having visitors. Yes. Anything else in the writing department? I know that Hughes wanted to get some exposition in before the layoffs. So he had Keaton talking to the workers. I'm not sure about the choice to do it on the assembly line. What? So (laughs) unless that, like they thought that was a good gag. So first of all, the viewer has a hard time hearing, but then I think in reality they work there. They would know. You wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it, I think they wanted to have a shot of them on the assembly line to let us know what they do. Mm-hmm. But to me, that's a conversation that you have at the coffee pot. Mm-hmm. So that was a, a little like, eh, I, I'm not, I'm not yeah. sure exactly about that. And then there was a, a point where is a good line. You're not a bum. Are you daddy? And he says, no, but I'm working on it. It's <laughs> kind of a funny line, but I think for us nowadays, bum isn't the insult that it was in previous generations. Even in 82, I don't think it carried the same connotation that it maybe did in 52 mm-hmm. to be called a bum. Mm-hmm. So I did make note in under the costume section that he was growing out his beard. Any other things in costuming that caught your eye? Oh, yeah. So loved the poofy shoulders on Carolyn's first day <laughs> outfit, very 1982. You love 80s fashion. I kind of do. <laughs> and I love her 80s hair. Yes. She had great hair. Uh, interesting that they had the red lacy teddy on Joan. At that time, I believe Angelion was considered va va voom. But boy, were there a lot of three-piece suits in this film. Mm-hmm. I, and I don't know if the waistcoat was that popular in 82. I'll be honest. I don't remember. And you made comment of the home... Yeah, that house is very small from the curb, but it's like the TARDIS, where the interior is larger than Pinewood Studios in England. (laughs) It was nuts how big the interior of that house was. And that giant basement? Yeah, yeah, the basement was pretty big. (laughs) Yeah, it was comic. (laughs) Maybe we're not supposed to pay too close attention to that. Don't look too close. (laughs) It's just a movie. Right. I made note that even though the vacuum cleaner was... Possessed. Yes. But, and so to add extra fear, they added the Jaws theme. <laughs> right. When it was run, running through the house. The thing that scared me, not because I knew it wouldn't hurt the kid, but the kid had his blankie. Oh, yeah. And I was so afraid that the vacuum cleaner was going to, you know, swoop up his blanket. Yeah. Yeah, there's a a couple things that I found a little problematic in the relationship between both Jack and Carolyn and then Ron, her boss played by Martin Mm Mull. Jack calls her doll face, which again is not a period correct term, but even then it just was a little... And he was condescending at one point. She said she was going to go back to work because he was having trouble finding a job. And he's like, what is the phone ringing off the hook that I haven't heard? So... wasn't too keen with that but then we can't skip over the fact that her boss basically breaking and entering on her hotel room and that uh, that was kind of 
maybe in 1982 that was considered uh, a normal seduction move was to just invite yourself into someone's room so when they come out of the shower you're like ta-da but I, I like wow that seemed a little a little aggressive even for 82 oh, i'm pretty sure in 82 that wasn't a welcome behavior <laughs> yeah i wouldn't think so <laughs> yeah i don't think that's was there any head trauma after the breaking <laughs> there, there, and entering? There, there was, actually. Uh, first, uh, Larry chokes Jinx, who is played by Jeffrey Tambor, after he gets furloughed. So they take the layoff poorly. But yes, Carolyn punches Ron in the nose after he tries the Weinstein maneuver on her. And then Jack punches Jinx in the nose when he yells at his son, Alex. He said, if you yell at my kid like that again, I'm going to punch you. And then he does. I know. I was glad he followed up with that. I am. Protect the kids. Mm-hmm. How about a smooch? Smoochie, smoochie, smoochie. There were several smoochies. Jack kisses Carolyn goodbye before leaving to carpool to work at first when he's working. He kisses her in front of the fireplace at the end of Act 2. And then they kiss after he gets his job back. Nice. Yes. And a driving review? All righty. So the 1983 Mercury Grand Marquis was a great example of crappy 80s cars. Really wasn't particularly exciting, right? Maybe it's a decent-made car, but, you know, it's it, you know the K cars came from Chrysler, that era. There's a toy model of Richard Petty's number 43 on the breakfast table, which I really appreciated. And the question I have is I, didn't, I couldn't tell if that was a Ford. Because uh, there was the 83 Ford Country Squire station wagon. I think that was period correct for a family in general, but certainly if you worked for Ford, right? I want to mention there's a couple scenes like where Joan gets in her Mustang, again, another Ford product, and really accelerates quite hard out of the driveway into the street. Could be other cars or kids playing, Joan, so... Let's not accelerate that hard in reverse. You can't see where you're going. They added the Cadillac stretched limo, which is interesting, not a Ford product. And the Fox body Mustang that Joan drives says that she's a party girl, right? Because she's a lady who's driving a Mustang. But I'm a little concerned about the plot point where they go to the Thunder from Down Under stripper show and she drives home. Was she not drinking? I don't think she should be driving. She had had quite a few cocktails. Maybe she had a really big meal with it as well. Let's hope. And then you didn't mention this. I didn't want to step on it. I wonder, I feel like in 80s movies, in well, in TV and movies, carpooling was a big deal, probably after the 79... The gas crisis Yeah, the gas thing. crisis. I bet in the early 80s, it was more of a thing. Like, yep. There were five men in that car, <laughs> and they talked about splitting the gas price. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's just funny, because it's just something you don't see. You might see people, I guess, in an Uber. You might see people in a taxi in movies and film, or TV and film today. But you just, you don't see the carpooling. Carpooling was big in the movies. Yeah. I don't know anyone, <laughs> any adult male in Southern California in that time that did carpool. Well, it's interesting. I wonder if it was more near a big city. And now a lot of these guys 
they all worked at the same place. Yeah. And then uh, presumably the person would then drop them. You know, obviously they were pulling up at Jack's house and the four of them were already in the car. Right. So I was only exposed to people who lived in suburbs. Right. Right. Me too. But the people that were worried about gas prices all bought motorcycles and they rode a motorbike to work. And um, they were tended to be like the Honda Goldwing, the the nice ones, not Mm -hmm. like the Harley. And everyone else drove their own motor vehicle. Mm -hmm. And it was for the same reason that all of us avoid carpooling is because you want the flexibility. Yeah. Now, there are people who, who have carpooled, but often those are people who do not have a car. Yeah. Um, in my experience, but I remember back then I didn't know anybody who carpooled to work. We carpooled to school because in minus one kids in the car had no car. Like one person had a car and he picked up everybody. Right. Because it was more fun to ride with your friend than Than on the the bus. bus. Of course. Yeah. 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 All right. So we go to the numbers. Let's go to the numbers. Okay. First, I want to say that this was the first time that Michael Keaton got top billing. Ooh. This was his first movie that he was kind of carrying. Was this after say. Night Shift? I don't I think know, it was. I but think. we're going to be talking about Night Shift in a couple months, so we can we'll find refer out then. back. Yeah. So the film's budget was $5 million. It made $86.8 million, this movie. Whoa. Yeah. It was, is that adjusted? Was that? No, adjusted would be like 188.6. Wow, so in big success. It made 80, almost $87 million. Wow, he with put a budget butts in seats. That's how he got the Batman rolling. Yeah, back. right? <laughs> uh, it gets a 6.6 out of 10 on IMDb. Critics give it a 76. And audiences are much cooler at 57%. Like I said, I I didn't I remember it more fondly than it landed the second time around. I was just listening to a podcast and they brought it up and they were like, "Oh, remember Mr. Mom? It was so funny." So I very much remembered it being quite funny, and I feel like I watched it more than once back in the early '80s. So that's why I was just like, "Please don't make, disappoint me." <laughs> like I just, we've been disappointed a couple times. So I was just, I was right. really hoping that this one would hold up. And it, it was, it was funny. It wasn't like, remember when we rewatched Tootsie recently? And Tootsie yeah. is still. So, I mean, I love that movie, but I remembered it being more comedic than it was dramatic. And when we rewatched it, I found that the opposite was true. Mm-hmm. There are comedic moments in it, but it, I feel like it's more of a drama. This one is definitely still all comedy, but mm-hmm. it was more sitcom-y than I remember. Yeah, that's a good uh, tonal uh, description yeah, for it. Yeah, It's uh, just over an hour and a half at 131. It's rated PG. It is listed as a comedy drama. Um, it is a Sherwood production, 20th Century Fox, and it won the Best Family Motion Picture at the Young Artists Awards. All right, everybody, you have one more day to turn in your guests for the month of July. You have five movies to choose from. I need some guessers so that we can have a winner. Hit me up at 971-245-4148 for our, where you could text or you could even leave a message and we could maybe even play the winning person on the pod or you can email me your guess 
at Christy at dodgemediaproductions.com. And all of this is in the show notes. Have a wonderful last couple days of July and never forget. Dodges never stop and neither do the movies. Thanks for listening to Dodge Movie Podcast with Christy and Mike Dodge of Dodge Media Productions. To find out more about this podcast and what we do, go to dodgemediaproductions.com. Subscribe, share, leave a comment, and tell us what we should watch next. Dodges never stop, and neither do the movies. 